Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast at NBC Sports. I am Kurt Heelan, the managing editor of Pro Basketball Talks and and the NBA page at NBC Sports, and today it is time to talk March Madness. Talk the players coming to the NBA out of it, some sleeper players to watch, maybe some sleeper teams you might want to pick in your pool. Plus, if you've got a team and you're an NBA fan, who should you be watching? Who should you be keeping an eye on in the NCAA tournament? We're bringing in Rob Doster from College Basketball Talk to talk about all of that. But first, I just wanted to bring up our sponsor up front. Blue Apron is sponsoring us. And look, I love them as a product. I have used them for a couple of years now. And you can try it out for free for the first time. They are the number one ingredient fresh delivery to your house system in America. The foods are fantastic. It's really fun to cook with fresh ingredients and do it with kind of a family atmosphere and try things you wouldn't normally try. And you can do that. Just go to blueapron.com slash PBTNBC. That's PBTNBC and get your your first three meals and delivery free. So you can check that out. We'll talk more about that later. But, well, let's get to it. Let's bring in Rob Doster from College Basketball Talk at NBC Sports. Rob, thanks for jumping in. Hey, man, I'm uh, I'm ready to go. I'm ready for this tournament to start. I'm fired up. You know how it is. Yeah, ex- all right. Well, let's get to the big question out of the way first. Who do you got winning it all? Like, do you actually think Gonzaga can do this? Oh, man, that's tough. Well, let me ask you this. So, because I need some advice on this. So, I picked Kansas back in October, right? Like, I've been on that Kansas bandwagon all season long. But the way the bracket kind of shook out, they get North Carolina in the Final Four. I have them playing North Carolina in the Final Four. And I think North Carolina, like, matches up really, really, really well with Kansas. Kansas has one big guy. They have one center. North Carolina has a, a, a whole host of you know big physical guys that love going to the offensive glass and they pound the ball inside and um, I could just see Landon Lucas getting in foul trouble in that game and I actually think North Carolina wins that game so am I allowed to pick them or do like should I just stick with Kansas and ride this thing out to the death see and here's the thing I'm a stubborn jerk so I will almost always ride Kansas but I will also tell you I have I have North Carolina winning it all they were my pick to to take the title in this thing um after after I decided it probably wasn't going to be Rhode Island, I you know I was I really wanted to go with Rhode Island, but then um, after that, no, I have North Carolina winning it all. I I boy, I said I would. It's a, going to be a great matchup, but I I would I would say jump if you if you feel like they they're going to win that, you kind of got to jump. I don't I don't think I'm going to. I think I'm just going to stick with Kansas and explain that I think North Carolina is going to win that game, but I'm picking Kansas. So that way, like I have it both 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 covered, go. right? Exactly. I can say I stuck with Kansas the whole way, but I also predicted that Kansas would lose that game. There right? you go. So there I you got go. all my bases covered. There you go. Actually, and that with if we're going to talk Kansas, we can jump right into one of those players that 
everybody's going to be kind of watching and talking about coming into this thing, which is Josh Jackson, the forward, who's probably going to go top three, top five in the NBA draft, depending on, you know, who falls where. And how much do you think, and this was an interesting discussion I had with somebody recently about how much of an impact these, a good tournament could have for somebody like Jackson. Could he move up and challenge, you know, ball and Fultz at the top? I'm not sure he can, but the organizations making those picks tend to be the ones who aren't, I don't know, don't always make the smartest decisions and can be more influenced by a hot tournament than some of the better run organizations in the league. Yeah, I think it kind of depends on who ends up making those picks, right? Like if I I fully expect Markel Fultz to be the number one pick in the draft, and if the Lakers have the number two pick, then they're, I mean, they're taking Lonzo Ball. I, yes. don't, I don't think there's any way around that. So, um, you know, if someone else has the number two pick, maybe uh, Josh Jackson can sneak up in there. But just the the way that it kind of is projected, because it, what the Lakers are are second, right? Second worst. Second worst. To be number two. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I would. If that's the way that it shakes out, then Josh Jackson isn't going top two. But I, you know what, man, I I would not be surprised if he ended up being the most successful player from this draft. I, I don't know if he's going to be the quote unquote best. Uh, I don't know if he's going to have better numbers than what Lonzo Ball puts up, or better numbers than what Markel Fultz put puts up, or you know, I think you can put Jason Tatum in that conversation too. But just I, I think that Josh Jackson is the one guy out of that group that like is a full blooded winner. I think he is everything that we've always wanted Andrew Wiggins to be. I think he's that athletic. I think he's an elite defender. He obviously hits the glass. He like plays the four for Kansas. He's a passer. He's averaging three point one assists a game. He's knocking down threes now. I, I just I think he is going to be a terrific NBA basketball player. And whether or not he's a star at the next level, I think he's going to be the guy that averages a lot of points on a really really good team. That's a really interesting comparison with with because I think isn't the knock the knock on everybody against Wiggins is man if we could just get him to bring it every night he'd be a superstar but he 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 plays defense pretty hard every night but he just you know some nights he kind of coasts through games and it you can I can guarantee you it drives certain coaches in Minnesota nuts um, there are some pretty hard driven coaches there I don't know that we need to name names Thibodeau uh, but it's it's you know. It's the thing. So if you can get somebody like him who plays, I think that that's one of those things coaches are always looking for when they get into the draft room. And the the GM will be like, "Well, this guy jumps out of the building, and he has this potential and that potential." And the coach is like, "Dude, this guy brings it every night. I want the guy who brings it every night." Yeah, and and it's also he impacts the game more than just in the scoring column. Like he's a guy. I think he'll probably be able to average down the road twenty, twenty two, twenty four points in the NBA. But he, you know you're going to get defense out of him. You know he's going to be a guy that can, um, you know that that can create plays off the dribble. He can pass. He's a really really good rebounder on both ends of the floor. He's tough. He's physical. I, he's got a little bit of a mean streak in him too. Like he's a uh, he's super competitive and and I think part of the reason that Kansas like they've won a lot of close games and a lot of games they probably shouldn't have won this season. Whether it's because of late comebacks or you know, big shots down the stretch, whatever it is. And I think a lot of that has to do with kind of the attitude that he has. Like, he's he's a leader. He's, he's got some alpha dog in him. And I, I don't think that he is the kind of guy that um, that is going to take losing lightly, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, and again, that's something coaches love. You also mentioned Ball, who, you know, again, I, whether the Lakers get him at number two or whether he he's gone pretty top three probably either way. Talk about a guy who really 
transformed a a program. I mean that the Bruins play differently because of him right now. Yeah, like he, part of it is that they just didn't have a point guard last season, um, yeah. and they kind of tried to force fit Bryce Alford into that spot. And moving him off the ball, like Bryce Alford is an unbelievable spot-up shooter. He's not a point guard. Um, and he played the point last year. Moving him off the ball and letting Lonzo come in and kind of uh, be that guy that, like, pings passes around all over the place. Like His vision is unbelievable. And um, I think the comparison that everyone makes is, like, to Jason Kidd. And I guess that kind of makes sense a little bit. You have a – he's a big point guard. He's a terrific passer. He, he – um, Loves firing up threes. Uh, you know, they both have the same kind of complexion. It's the it's the easy and the obvious comparison to make. Um, and, and I don't – I'm kind of torn on Lonzo. Like I, it's going to be interesting to see how he develops because I don't think he is an elite athlete. I don't know how much he wants to play defense. Um, but, I mean, if you just look at what he's been able to do in the production that he's had this season, it's it's you can't really argue against him. And the, the thing that everyone wants to talk about with him is like his jump shot, right? Like he shoots it from the left side of his body and it's a weird angle. And there's some concerns about if he is driving to his right and he has to pull up and take a jump or bring the ball back to his left side and basically put it right in front of the defense. I guess that's a little bit of a concern. Um, but I mean, if his shots are going in at this level, so why wouldn't they be going in at the next level? I, I think he's going to be really, really good. Um, and I do think that he is probably going to end up playing in Los Angeles, uh, when it's all said and done. Yeah, one way or another. Yeah, that's... I'll tell you the guy that I haven't... And again, I don't get to watch as near, obviously nearly as much college ball as you do, but um, as much as probably a lot of the listeners do because I'm always trying to, you know, go back and watch NBA games. But one guy who I watched some of and really caught my eye and talk about a guy who maybe can help his draft stock just because Duke is going to go deep or should go deep in this thing. I really like Jason Tatum. I, I think that that's a guy... He's been peaking lately. Maybe we're seeing him play at his best, but I watched him play, and I'm like, man, that guy can make an impact. Yeah, he's just such a good scorer. Like, that's what he does great. He is an isolation scorer. He's a guy you give the ball to 19 feet from the basket and just let him go one-on-one. Because what happens is he plays, like, this small ball four role for Duke, and you run into the situation where you have either, like, bigger slower guys guarding him and he can just kind of face up and, and put it on the floor and go by him or you got to put small forwards on him who uh you know give up a couple inches and, and 10 20 30 pounds on him he can just kind of back him down and he's got this really nice array of post moves and, and fadeaways and, and little jumpers my the thing i don't like about him is he kind of settles for uh pull-up jumpers from like 18 feet like he's he's one of these guys that really loves the the worst shots in basketball um <laughs> So that I mean, I think a little bit of that will change once he gets to the NBA and, and he can kind of extend his range a little bit. Like he's making threes this year, and he didn't make threes before this. Like you can tell that he's worked on on pushing his uh, his range out and, and getting that jumper a little bit deeper. Um, my concern with him is a little bit the concern with Andrew Wiggins in that I don't know how well he impacts the game beyond just scoring. I don't think he's a great defender. He's shown a little bit of toughness um, playing the four this season that I didn't know he had, but it kind of comes in spurts. Uh, like it, he, he ends up having to guard a lot of guys that are bigger than him, um, and it's not easy for you if you're, what is he, 204 pounds, and you have to go up and, and try to box out these guys that are six foot 10, 240. Mm-hmm. So he's done a good job of it, but it hasn't been great and it hasn't been overly consistent. But I've been, I've been impressed with his ability to kind of, fight in the paint. I didn't know he had that in him a little bit. I thought that uh, 
the question I had coming into the year and early on of the season was whether whether or not he had enough heart to battle like that, and I think he's um, availed himself well. I, I've been I've been impressed with that. Rob, I want to take just a break for a second to talk about Blue Apron, which is look. We've talked about it before on this podcast. I have been using it for years before they were a sponsor, and I'm excited to have them on. They are the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service, and they bring you these sustainable foods. But more importantly, just for me, like things I wouldn't try. I made green curry the other night from last week's, and there's stuff coming up like salmon piccata and pork chops with miso butter and bok choy and vegetable chili. Spicy shrimp and coconut curry was the one I had the other night that was just Look, it was really delicious, but it's not a thing that I wouldn't make at home normally. But they send me all the fresh ingredients. They send me the directions on how to do it. And, you know, my wife and I get to cook together. It's a fantastic experience. Look, the ingredients aren't equal everywhere, man. Fresh ingredients, the kind of things you just can't buy at your Mega Mart down the street, that matters. It makes the food taste better. It's affordable. You get a wide variety of things. You can kind of modify the menu as it comes in and get different things. And look. It's something you need to do. You would really actually enjoy it. It's worth a shot. And by the way, it's free. Look, check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with shipping free. You just go to blueapron.com slash pbtnbc and they will send it to you. You get three free meals. You get to check it out and see how it goes. I think once you do that, look, you're going to be hooked like I was hooked. I'm always on there. So again, that's blueapron.com slash pbtnbc. You get the free ingredients. You get to bring them home. Like I said, this is the one bit of cooking I do with my wife. We carve out some time. We hang out in the kitchen. It's a great experience. Blue Apron, it's just a better way to cook. Check it out. All right. This may be the stupidest question um, I've ever asked on this podcast, but I'm going to throw it out there this way anyway. Can Kentucky win this thing? (sighs) Man. All right, before I saw the draw, I would have said yes, um, just because De'Aaron Fox was starting to come around a little bit and Bam Adebayo was starting to come around a little bit. But if you, they got the toughest draw on the bracket. Like, they, they got the worst draw. I, I I feel for John Calipari and what he's going to have to go through to get there because, all right, so in the second round, they're probably going to end up having to play Wichita State. And I don't know if you've paid attention to that conversation, but it's been a huge talking point in college basketball circles that Wichita State – might be the worst misseed in the history of the NCAA tournament bracket. They are a team that is number eight in Kempom, and Kempom is the uh, yeah. is the metric that like yeah. college basketball. It, it's it's yes. the most well regarded one when it comes to being able to determine who the best teams are. It's, it's efficiency based, and there's a a way that they use to adjust for what the schedule that you played is. Um, but it's the most well respected and, and well accepted one in college basketball, and they're they're eighth right now in Kempom, and they ended up being a ten seed. In the South, and you know, anybody you talk to is going to say that that, that is one of the worst misseedings that we've ever seen, and it's probably going to end up changing how they decide on uh, on seeding teams. That's how bad he is, or how bad it is, and that's who Kentucky gets in the second round. That might that might end up being a pickle. Like maybe Kentucky will be favored by a point or two, but that's it, it's when you play when you're a number two seed and you play ten seed in the second round, like it shouldn't be that close. So be. if Kentucky gets by Wichita State, then they have to go play probably UCLA in the Sweet 16, and we all know how good UCLA can be. If Kentucky gets by them, then they have to go play North Carolina in the Elite Eight, who, I mean, you just said you have North Carolina as uh, the team that you have winning it. I think North Carolina is one of the four favorites to win this thing. Um, So 
And and if they get past North Carolina, if they win those three games and get to the Final Four, then you're going to end up having to play teams like Kansas and Duke and Arizona and Gonzaga or Louisville or whoever it is. Um, They have to beat two potential Final Four teams and a top ten team just to get to the Final Four. That is a nightmare draw for a Kentucky team that has been a little bit inconsistent and kind of rides the hot hand of uh, Malik Monk more than I think we would like them to. How good is Monk? Like, I mean, he's going to go probably top 10 in the draft. What does he bring? Because I, I, some days I'm like, man, the guy can score, but I just don't know what else he'll bring or, or how, he'll, how he'll adapt to the next level. I mean, he's the single most dangerous scorer in college basketball, flat out. When he gets it going, he can do things like score 30 points and a half. And he's done that twice this year. He scored 20 points and a half six times this year. He went for 47 points against North Carolina earlier this year. He's an unbelievable scorer when he gets into a rhythm. My concern with him is that he has a tendency to settle for jumpers. He relies a little bit on deep jumpers, on contested jumpers. He's really streaky, so he'll have just awful games. Um, And back-to-back, I mean, he had games this year against, uh, who was it? It was at home against Florida. He was horrendous in the first half. He had five turnovers. He was one for seven from the floor. He was 0 for five from three. It was the worst half he's played all season long. And then he came back in the second half and scored 30 points and led uh, Kentucky to a win over a top 10 team at home to basically clinch the SEC regular season title. So, I mean, it's not just game to game that he's inconsistent. It's half to half. And I don't know if he affects the game other ways enough. Uh, he's also like six foot three. He's got relatively short arms. He's listed at, I think, 200 pounds. And, you know, that's like listing me at 175 pounds. Just not true. I think he's probably closer to about a buck 70. He, he really has no weight on him. So the fact that we're talking about a guy who is six foot three and slender without long arms as a potential top 10 pick should tell you just how dangerous he is as a scorer. But I don't know if there is a role for him as a starter in the NBA. What I think he's probably going to be best at is one of these guys that you bring in off the bench to to give you, you know, 10, 15, 20 points a night. The kind of guy that gets you 25 or 30 if he gets going. But you don't have to worry about him being a starter and being inconsistent and not knowing if he's going to show up that day. You're going to use him as a guy that can kind of, if you're down by 15 points, you need a spark, you bring him in. I, I think, I don't know, like a Lou Williams kind of guy. Yeah. Um, is a comparison that I've seen. So I, I don't know if he's a starter. I think that I like um, a number of other guards. I like a lot of guys that are rated and projected below him at this point. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just – what he does, he does unbelievably well. I don't know if what he does is enough to get him to be a, uh, a, a, a worth the top ten pick in this draft. All right. I'm going to ask this again. Can Gonzaga win this thing? Yeah, I think they can. You know, the thing about Gonzaga this year is that they, them in North Carolina probably have the fewest weaknesses of any team in college basketball. Like everybody else, you look at them and, you know, Duke doesn't really play defense and they have question marks in their interior. Kansas has one big guy on their roster. Uh, Kentucky is super inconsistent. UCLA doesn't guard anybody. Arizona doesn't really have a point guard. Everybody else has these question marks. And, and Gonzaga doesn't really have those question marks. Like the concern with them is is their All-American point guard athletic enough to deal with um, elite defenders that are NBA-caliber players? Like, that's the question mark with them. Can their 
uh, starting center who is a fifth-year senior that is probably going to end up playing in the NBA in Shemek Karnowski. Is he quick enough to be able to guard ball screens, or are they going to have to play the McDonald's All-American potential first-round pick they have as their backup center over him? So um, they are really, really good. They're really balanced. They don't really have a weakness. I just don't know if they have the same ceiling as a lot of these teams because they don't quite have – they have more talent than we're used to out of a Gonzaga team, but they don't have the kind of talent that we see on – say, a Duke or an Arizona or a UCLA or a Kentucky or a Kansas. They're just not quite at that level. So I think they can do it. I don't know if they are going to do it. The highest-rated guy on the draft boards out of them is Zach Collins, the freshman center. Um, how much do you like him? What does he bring? He is – I mean, there's just not really anything that he doesn't do well. You know, I don't know what he does great, but he's six foot eleven. he's mobile, he's athletic, he can shoot it a little bit. Um, he blocks some shots. He moves his feet. He's got post moves. I, I think he's really, really good. And what I, I don't know if he's going to end up going pro this year. Um, I think he's projected. What is it like a late first round pick? Yeah, early late second round pick. Uh, deal? End of the lottery to the twenties. Kind of depends on who you talk to and how much they think they can develop him, or if he's just, or if he's basically a career backup center. Which, by the way, you can make a lot of money and have a very nice life being a career backup NBA center. But then you, like you said, he's not necessarily a starter, but he can give you. 15, 17 solid minutes a night, which is kind of what he's doing as a freshman at Gonzaga. Yeah, so what I'm what I'm wondering is, will he end up going pro this year where he could end up going in the 20s, or is he a guy that can come back when he will be the feature front court player for Gonzaga and maybe he can play his way like into the top 10 in a weaker draft? So, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to end up doing. But, I, I mean, he's, he's a good player. He's going to play in the NBA. I mean, there's a reason that he was a McDonald's All-American. He's a... Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of him, and I hope I hope he comes back. I'm selfish, man. I, I want these kids to stay in college for as long as possible because I want to be able to write about better basketball players. And if it's good for me, then that's what I'm rooting for. And it would be good for me if Zach Collins came back for a year. So Zach, if you're listening to this, do me a solid, man. Come back. <laughs> One guy I don't think's coming back, by the way, but it will be an interesting project reach, kind of in the in the draft. And I think some. Talk about the guy who's going to get drafted higher than he probably should, and we'll see if he pans out. Is Harry Giles Giles out of Duke? Like he's, we've been talking about him as a project for how long now? Yeah, you know, it, the Harry Giles thing is it, just I, I I hate it for him so much because he is he can't move the same way that he used to be able to move, and yeah. um, I don't think he truly trusts his knees yet. Obviously, he. After his freshman year, he had a, a he tore his I want to say in his left knee it was his ACL, his MCL, and his meniscus. And then right before the start of his senior year in high school, he tore the ACL in his right knee. So he really only played two seasons of high school basketball. And at the start of this year, he had another arthroscopic uh, procedure on his left knee, the one he hurt the first time, and he missed. I think he was out for six weeks. So all told, he didn't play basketball for fourteen months, and that is a really really difficult thing to do. To, to, to sit out for 14 months and then immediately come back and start playing in the ACC. That's very, very hard to do. So you see what he can do in flashes against North Carolina in the second half. He had one stretch where at one end of the floor he blocked a shot and he beat everybody down the floor in a dead sprint, caught an alley-oop dunk at the rim, and then back on the defensive end of the floor uh, he got around Kennedy Meeks, dove on the floor, made a steal, um, got Duke the possession back. They went down, they scored at the other end, and then he came back down at the other end of the floor and grabbed a rebound in traffic in between um, Kennedy Meeks and Isaiah Hicks, who are the, probably the two best rebounders uh, as a front court in college basketball. So 
he does these things where you see it and you're like, oh, wow, like that is the dude that, that we saw back in high school. And I remember I was talking to a veteran scout who's done this for a long, long time. And he told me that after his freshman year, Harry Giles was probably the best high school basketball player or a high school basketball prospect in the country. And this was at the same time that Andrew Wiggins was still in high school. So I I want him to be able to figure out figure it out and I think that somebody in the late first round is going to bet on him being able to figure it out and being able to put it all together because at some point look if he let's say that the reason he struggled this year right is because he hasn't had his legs under him he doesn't have that explosiveness um and he's just like it's what happens when you sit out for 14 months and that's why he's been inconsistent this year so if if you can assume that's the case and and maybe there's what like a 25 30% chance that that's true then I think you roll the dice on him late in the second round or late in the first round because, you know, if he puts it all together and he comes back and he is the same guy that he was earlier in his career, like you're getting a guy that was, the, you know, a top, a lock for a top five pick at a pretty significant bargain when, you know, your other choices are going to be career backups. So I think you take a shot of him late at some point. But at the end of the day, um, I mean, I, and I think you know this, Kurt, and I think that every NBA team knows this, that pick is going to get made by the doctors, right? Yeah. Do they look at his knees and say they have a chance to be better, or do they look at them once they get the MRIs and the scans or whatever it is? They look at him and say these knees are shot. He's got no chance. They're going to break down by the time he's 22 years old. Don't pick him. So um, I think he has to go pro just because uh, it, it's too risky not to. Um, and I hope that it all works out for him because if it doesn't, man, like that is just you really, really feel for a kid like that that had everything coming to him. I mean, he was like a $200 million basketball player when he was 14 years old, and just to have that get wrecked by knee injuries, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. So some guys were talking about, and we're talking about Monk, and some of these guys were like, well, how are they going to fit in the NBA? Where do they? Where would they find a spot? How do they find a niche? Then you watch Laurie Markkinen out in Arizona, and you're like, yeah, that guy just fits right in the modern game. Like, like I can see why he's going to go high. Because he's a big who can space the floor, and he's got. It looks. I think he's still got some work to do inside. But you just you're watching play, and you're like, "Yep, that guy. That guy's just going to blend right in somewhere." Yeah, you know, when you're that size and you can shoot the way that he can shoot, it's 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 really really promising. The thing that I like about him too is that there were a couple games earlier this year where um, Arizona starting center is a guy named Dusan Ristich. And Ristich missed a couple of games, and they had to play Laurie Markkinen at the five, which meant that he was more of a low-post guy. They needed him to rebound a little bit. And he, I mean, I think he went like 19 and 13 in one game and then had 26 and 11 the next game. So it's not just that he's, you know, a seven-footer that stands up there and fires up threes. Like, he can do some other things, too. And um, I I saw one projection that said that he was going to be the number one pick in the draft, which I'm pretty sure the guy that, that was writing that was drunk at the time because I, I don't think that you if you take him in the top five of this draft then um, you probably need to get your sanity checked and you should not be in charge of a uh, NBA basketball team but he's I think he's going to end up being a really good player um, you know a good 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 role player a good secondary option a, a nice piece on a good team for a long time all right so who are some of the guys on you know sleeper teams or, or teams that we necessarily don't see a lot of? That, that we should be watching in this tournament, both just maybe just the teams and and as well as, you know, uh, players to watch. Because I'll tell you, the first guy that comes to mind when I'm thinking of this is Justin Patton out in, um, with Creighton, their freshman center, who's going to, you know, again, go probably somewhere in the first round. Yeah, he's he's really interesting to me. I just wonder what he does great. You know, he's really good at catching lobs, but 
Yeah. I think that beyond that, I don't know if that he's got, he's got a little Patrick O'Brien in him to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, a guy that like look great, has all the physical tools, but you just don't know what he does at an NBA level. I like, so the two names that I would mention for this are one, John Collins at Wake Forest, who is a guy that has been incredibly productive playing for um, Danny Manning uh, at the college level. Yeah, who's who, ever come out of Wake Forest that's any good? Come on now. <laughs> um, yeah, Chris Paul, uh, Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan. Yeah, those, aside uh, that though, those, yeah. those Wake Forest big guys. I mean, they never really pan out, do they? No, exactly. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, he averages like nineteen and ten. He had a stretch where there were twelve straight games where he uh, he he scored more than twenty points. Um, he's just incredibly productive. He's been really, really good. He's only nineteen years old. I think that he. He's a guy that's going to be interesting. I think he'll probably end up in the late lottery, and, and teams are going to kind of have to come to a decision. You know, do you want Robert Williams? Do you want John Collins? Do you want Justin Patton? Um, I think those are, you know, do you want Ivan Rapp? I think those are decisions that teams are probably going to end up having to make. The other guy that's interesting to me is Semi Ojale, who is a kind of like a combo forward, a small ball four. Um, that plays for SMU. He's been so productive this year. Uh, he sat out a year and a half. He originally went to Duke, and he sat out a year and a half. And he's come back and like he's he's about six foot seven, but he's super strong and super physical. He knocks down threes. He can play on the perimeter a little bit. He can score in the post. Um, he's really explosive. I think he's a guy that will probably end up being a late first round pick. But he's he's a really interesting um, prospect because of the way that he's able to shoot the ball now. So you you combine his physical tools and the and, and athleticism, strength, all that kind of stuff, with the fact that now he's knocking down threes off the dribble, off the catch. He's a he's a guy that I think some people are going to keep an eye on, and I th- I fully expect SMU to get out of the first weekend. I think that they beat Baylor um, in the second round of the tournament. So uh, so the, I think he's a guy that will kind of be one of those um, one of those prospects that explodes out of nowhere, so to speak. All right, since. Uh... My Long Beach State 49ers were hosed by the committee and uh, didn't get in this year. And uh, that was an inside joke, by the way. There's, there's zero chance they deserve to be there. Um, I actually think they would have, if, if, if it had not been the injury to Gabe, they're, they're, they lost their best player um, midway through the year to a knee injury. And, and after that, they were just not going to come out of the Big West. But I think they might have otherwise. But that's neither here nor there. I, if, if I don't get to talk about them, um, and later you and I can talk about how Dan Monson's in trouble. Um, whether he should be or not. Uh, we'll go over to Notre Dame, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about my other favorite college. Uh, Bonzi Colson, uh, probably going to be late first round, early second round kind of guy, but worth the gamble? See, I don't know, but he's such an interesting prospect to me because he's only six foot five, right? But he's yeah. one of these guys, he's got a ridiculously long wingspan. I, I don't know exactly what it's measured at, but like all you have to do is look at him and you can see like he can scratch his knees without bending over. He's got crazy long arms and he also has no neck. Like his, <laughs> his head, it goes directly, it goes like shoulders and then ears basically. Like he's got no neck at all. And so if you watch him walk by somebody that is like six foot eight, six foot nine, like their shoulders are basically the same height. Like he's functionally a six foot eight dude with really long arms. But he's listed at six foot five, which makes him just—it's fun to watch him play. And now I don't know if he's going to end up being an NBA guy, just because when you—I um, don't think he's like super athletic. I don't think he's a good enough shooter. I, I think that he is—I um, mean, I, I don't know what if he does anything at an NBA level. Like he's one of these guys to me that's a really, really good college player. 
that does like does a lot of things well, doesn't do anything great. But I would not be shocked to see him, you know, make a summer league roster, probably get into a training camp and uh, maybe be one of these guys that bounces around the D league, gets a couple of 10 day contracts kind of deal. Um, because I mean, rebounding translates, he's a good rebounder. He had like, he can knock down threes and, you know, he can score a little bit in the post. He's versatile enough that it might be worth it to, uh, to give him a shot. But he, the big thing about him is that he's just such a weird guy to watch because he's so short and he's so much better than these guys that are like four inches taller than him. Yeah. And that's, that's always been kind of like every report you ever read about him starts with, if he were six, nine, we'd be discussing him in the lottery, but that's just not how this is going to go. So, uh, another guy that's interesting, what about Monte Morris out of Iowa State? He's a senior four-year point guard who's just kind of one of those, like, you might take him in the second round and bring him in, and he can be a rock-solid guy who gives you steady minutes. Yeah, so we see guys like this come through all the time, right? Like a Fred Van Vliet or a Ron Baker, just these yeah. these dudes that were point guards that are really smart, that understand how to play, um, like a TJ McConnell kind of deal yeah. where um, they're never going to be stars in the NBA, but... They're just they're 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 so good at what they do, and they're so smart, and they don't turn the ball over, and they understand how to run a pick and roll, and they can knock down a three. That I, I just think he's going to latch on somewhere and hang around in the NBA as a backup for like seven or eight years. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be a star. I don't think he's ever going to be a shoot contract kind of guy. I don't think he's like he's not a crazy athlete. He's not Russell Westbrook. He's not a guy that's jumping over cars or anything like that. But he just he makes threes. He understands how to run the pick and roll. He doesn't make mistakes. And he's kind of like like a presence in the locker room and a presence on the floor that is only going to provide positive things for your team. So I, I would not be shocked if he hung around the NBA for a while. And I think you could put Frank Mason in that same conversation. You know, like mm. both of them are veterans. They're old. Like you kind of know what they're going to be as players. They're not going to be great NBA players. But I mean, why wouldn't you give them a shot when they're they've been this successful and they do these things so well at the college level and um, you know, I I don't – let's put it like this. Functionally, I don't know if there's a difference between Fred Van Vliet and TJ McConnell and Monte Morris and Frank Mason. And I think that at some point they are probably going to find a way um, onto a roster and, and hang around in the NBA for a little while. All right. Let's talk about the guy that I, seems hard to peg is Jonathan Isaac out of Florida State. Uh, up and down a little bit. Struggled some lately. Uh has the there's moments you I guess you can say that he kind of looks elite and then you catch some of the video other times you're like I don't know man I I he's he needs to get stronger obviously but I just I'm not sure what to do with him yeah I was talking to one scout and I, I really like the way that he put it is that Jonathan Isaac has as high of a ceiling as anybody in the top 10 and as low as a floor as anybody in the first round you know you don't really know what's going to come and I part of it is that you know, he's got – there's a ways to go in terms of his development. Like you see you see some of the things in Flash. Like he can knock down threes. He's six foot eleven. He's got a little bit of a handle. He's mobile. But he also weighs like 200 pounds at six foot eleven. He's going to have to put on a good like 25, 30 pounds. Um, and I don't know if he's got like any dog in him. Like that's the big thing with him, right? Like is he a guy – I don't want to say does he love basketball because I think he really does like the sport, but I don't know if he's a guy that's ever going to be an alpha. I don't think that – like part of the reason that Florida State is a little untrustworthy to me in this tournament, um, as a team, I would call them the most talented team that I don't trust at all. 
and I think they're actually going to lose in the first round as a three seed. And part of the reason I say that is because I don't think they realize that Jonathan Isaac is their best player. I don't even think Jonathan Isaac realizes that Jonathan Isaac is the best player on Florida State, and that's a concern to me. You know, if he's not able to be a guy that demands the ball on a team that when he's playing with like Dwayne Bacon and Xavier Rattan Mays, like what's he going to do in the NBA? Is he just going to kind of fold and and um, and and you know? Uh, give up all the responsibility to other people and, and kind of pass it all off. I think that there's a, a real risk that that might be the case with Jonathan Isaac at the next level. Like he's got all the physical tools. He's got all the skills, like everything you want. I just don't know if he's the kind of guy that can take stuff over like that. All right. So big picture, what games are you excited to watch in the first couple of rounds? What are you looking not only just players, but like, and, and maybe some sleepers we're not following either, not just for the draft, but kind of worth watching as a college player. And, and what games are you like, man, this is the one I want to see. This is the matchup I want to see. So the the two, for me, the two, like, must-see matchups in the first round of the tournament are going to be Michigan and Oklahoma State. Um, Oklahoma State has a guy named Jawan Evans who is a – he'll be a first-round pick whenever he comes out. I've seen some comparisons to Chris Paul. I don't think he has that same kind of ceiling, but um, he plays for a team – that leads the nation in uh, points per possession offensively and doesn't play any defense. And Michigan is like seventh nationally in points per possession, and they don't play any defense either. And they got a potential NBA player and a point guard uh, named um, Derek Walton. Uh, so that's going to be a really fun matchup individually and both as a team. Michigan also has a couple guys, uh, Mo Wagner and DJ Wilson, who are those typical John Beeline, like six foot 11 dudes that just want to play in the perimeter and jack up threes. <laughs> like they're, uh, they're Kevin Pitsnoggle without all the tattoos. Um, so that is going to be, I think, a really, really fun matchup. Uh, bet the over. Let's just put it that way. Um, <laughs> and then the other one is Iowa State and Nevada. I think we already talked about um, Monte Morris and just how good he is. But Nevada's got a couple of potential NBA players on their roster, too. they got a big guy named Cam Oliver, who I think will be like a second-round pick whenever he comes out, uh, which may be this year. Um, they have a point guard named Marcus Marshall who could put up 25 points on any given day. They have a wing named Jordan Caroline who scored 45 in a game earlier this year. He's actually – remember Simeon Rice? Yeah. The defensive end? Yeah. It's uh, Simeon Rice's son. Oh, wow. Uh, Jordan okay. Caroline. So that's a that's a really talented Nevada team. It's actually coached by Eric Musselman, former uh, former Sacramento Eric, Kings head coach, I Eric believe. Musselman's – there are plenty of people around the NBA who had their issues and, and he got himself in enough of his own trouble, but – I always thought that he was a really good teacher, like and and really knew and loved the game and was kind of a lifer and liked teaching it in a in a Larry Brown sort of way. Although Larry comes with other issues, like Larry Brown also likes teaching the game, and I think Musselman always came off that way to me. Yeah, but and and they also have this the, that thing in common where they stay at a job for like two years and then bounce. So yeah, exactly. Good, good comparison for you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, those are some good ones. By the way, we went through this whole thing without even discussing Villanova. Um, they might be good. Yeah, they're really good, man. And I'll tell you what. If you don't take Josh Hart in the first round, like, you're crazy to me. I don't understand how um, – seeing what, what Malcolm Brogdon has done this year for yeah. the Bucks, I don't understand how you could not want to take Josh Hart at some point late in the first round. I think he is going to be an immediate impact guy in the NBA. I, I – you know, I don't know if he'll ever average double figures, anything like that. But you you could put him on an NBA roster now, and he'll be able to give you 15 or 20 minutes a game. Um, between the way he's able to defend, the fact that he can knock down shots, uh, he, he makes plays off the dribbles. Now, I, he, 
I don't know how long his career in the NBA will be, but if you draft him, you are getting a guy that can immediately contribute to your team, and I don't understand why he is not projected as a late first-round pick right now. All right, there we go. Rob, thank you for doing this. Um, we will be putting all our money on uh, Kansas and North Carolina then to, to win it all, so you just look smart, and and we will... Uh, that's that's what I need, man. Look, if you pick everybody, then you're always going to be right. <laughs> exactly. That's why I've got Rhode Island in this thing, man. Um, yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, everybody can find you on Twitter at, I believe it's just Rob Doster, is it not? Yeah, very easy. I use my name. Uh, that's very tricky, Rob Doster. Of course, your work's at College Basketball Talk on NBC Sports. Rob, thank you a lot for doing this. We'll try to have you on back closer to the draft, but thanks for coming in and... Uh, Walking us through some guys to watch and, and helping. By the way, who we? I totally left the obvious question off. Who's your sleeper? Is it? Is it? I mean, I think I don't know if West Virginia counts as a sleeper anymore because they're like a four seed. So, I think that. Um, so here are my sleeper picks. I have Notre Dame in the Elite Eight. I have Rhode Island in the uh, in the Sweet Sixteen. I have UNC Wilmington in the Sweet Sixteen. I have Middle Tennessee State in the Sweet Sixteen, and I have Xavier in the Sweet Sixteen. So if you want to, uh, if you want to get picks wrong with me, those are the picks you can make. There you go. Um, I expect that by about 10 o'clock Thursday morning, my bracket will be dead. So <laughs> that's usually, that is traditionally... 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock West Coast time? Yeah, exactly. It, it takes about half of one game, and then I'm done. Um, <laughs> thanks, though, for doing this, Rob. We will have you back on hopefully a little uh, a little closer to the draft. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Of course, you can catch us on iTunes. Uh, go there. Subscribe to the Pro Basketball Talk podcast. Comment there. Tell your friends. You can find me on Facebook, and you can find my podcast on Facebook at my Kurt Heelan Professional page. You can, of course, go to NBCSports.com, which has all of our podcasts going back a ways, and podcasts from the other groups. And, of course, at Audioboom.com, you can get all the NBC Sports podcasts and all the ones from the CSN. So as we head into the NFL draft season, there's going to be all sorts of podcasts about the Bears and the Redskins, and uh, not only that, but... Look, great podcasts on the Celtics and and the the Bulls and everybody else. So check out audioboom.com, find the NBC Sports page, and of course find us on iTunes. Thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.